Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Sadly, this is what home sounds like for many of America's heroes. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street, sleeping on nothing more than cardboard. You can help. Donate at CardboardToHeadboard.org. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by MLB Network reporter and producer, Sandy Charles. Sandy and I have been friends and colleagues for several years, so this one is a lot of fun. Sandy talks about confidence and preparation, not playing small, and pushing through those no's. She also shares a part of her morning routine that we can all benefit from, the difference between sideline reporting and hosting and letting your work ethic shine. Sandy is very open about the inner work she's doing and it's inspirational for us all. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Happy listening. Sandy, welcome to the Get My Job podcast. I'm so excited. Uh, You were, of course, the Cardinals and Suns fangirl. Uh, For you guys that don't know, we used to have fangirls that covered every NFL and NBA team. We had Megan Reyes on, who was Saints and Pelicans a few weeks ago. And so I'm so excited to have you on. It's like, it warms my heart when my fangirls get to come on Get My Job. I am so excited. I've on, I've been counting down this day. And I love the community that you built with Fangirl Sports Network. All of us girls. Um, I love Megan. Like, I love, I love. And I know I tagged yesterday Taylor, who you, I feel like... I found her through you. And so it just, I love seeing her flourish and all of that. So I love, I love this. I'm excited to be here. Well, fantastic. I'm excited to have you. We have a full on love fest going on guys. So I hope you can literally feel it through your headphones, your phone, your computer, wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast. Uh, And we are going to jump right in because Sandy has such an incredible journey And I want you guys to hear all about it. So Sandy, I'm just going to actually have you start by taking us through your professional journey to this point. Wow. It is a roller coaster. So everyone buckle up. Let's see if I can. Sometimes it's confusing. So I'm going to try and keep it as linear as possible. And once I graduated from ASU, so I went to ASU and I was a pre-med major slash biology because my dad, and I'm going to do air quotes, he wanted me to get a (laughs) real career and being on TV and being a journalist to him wasn't going to pay the bills. And he was really worried about that. Mm -hmm. He's a lawyer. So very, (laughs) very logical. Mm -hmm. So I studied medicine. And then as soon as I graduated from ASU, I moved to LA instantly. I always knew I wanted to be there and started working in TV and started working in um, music videos, TV, anything that you can think of. But I was able to set a foundation when I was at ASU because every summer I would move and take classes at USC. 
and already get my foot in the door there. I wanted USC on my resume to be able to open those doors, but I also wanted to learn from them too. So when I graduated, I had that foundation, moved to LA and really just started just right away. I was in, I was kind of still toggling between science and being in TV. So my day job was working in the Children's Hospital LA in the cancer research department. And then at night I would go and do all the TV and film stuff. And then when that lab closed down, I kind of took that as a sign from the Lord, like, Hey, this is not where you're supposed to be going. Let's get you on the path that just really sets your soul on fire. I love helping. I want to cure cancer. That's always been my thing, but it was really hard for me. It came easy for everyone else in the lab, but for me, it was really, really hard. So the lab closed. I got a job with the LA Kings. And that really is what propelled and opened the door for everything in sports from the LA Kings. I got the Dodgers from the Dodgers. I got the angels and then ESPN and then MLB network. And the ball just kind of started rolling. Once your foot is in, you just kind of then push your knee and then you push your shoulder and you just keep fighting. And so I started as a PA slash runner with MLB network back in 2011 And I traveled myself for the first five or six years, just proving, and I wanted to prove to them that I I was loyal, my work ethic, everything. So all this, the World Series, all the winter meetings, all the all-star games, World Baseball Classic, I would travel myself and just get there, just get there. And you can work as a local PA and runner. And that really is what set the foundation for my work in sports. And from there, I moved up to producer Uh, Sometimes I production manage with them and um, I'm on air with them. So producer slash on air with them is what I do doing play ball and youth and all of that and all the PDP, which is getting ready. The guys that'll go in the draft, MLB draft. Mm -hmm. So big circle from medicine to sports. That's kind of it in a nutshell. I moved back to Arizona in 2015 and just kind of, wanted to fly on my own. I was working in LA at Fox Sports and MLB Network my last year in LA. And I went to both Fox Sports and MLB Network. And I said, do I have your blessing to move? Do you think I've done enough? Can I, I've been here 13 years. Do you, I've, have I done it? And they gave me their blessing and I moved and I just wanted to be a bird flying on my own in Arizona. (laughs) So that's kind of what led me back home. And I've been here since and kind of rooted. And that's one thing I always tell a lot of people is plant in root. Like I would see girls come into LA and leave after two or three years because they couldn't, they, they weren't getting where they wanted and you have to root yourself. So 13 years there, I rooted, I fought, I tried hard came back home. Now root plant here. I can't, if I jump again, I'm going to have to restart all over again. So I just plant and root here at home in Arizona and everything's been great. That is fantastic. And I think you bring up a lot of really good points. You were doing medicine during the day and then at night, you know, the TV stuff and how I love what you said. Once you have, you know, your foot in the door, you push with your knee and your leg and everything. And it's really important. And it's just, getting that first opportunity and 
recognizing the opportunity and jumping on it, I think is very important. Yeah. And that was, so as a runner and slash PA and this Tracy quote, this totally could be just me. And so I always made it a point when I was there to be a runner and a PA, I was there to do that job to the best of my ability, whether it was taking out the trash, whether it was getting a coffee Mm -hmm. for the VP or the SVP or whatever, do it to the best of your ability. I was never there to sell myself as an on-air reporter. And that's something that I always tried to, that's a boundary. I am not there to be a runner. Hey guys, I want to be on air. I want to be on air. I want to be on air. No, let my work ethic shine. Let them get to know who I am inside and then organically and naturally, your my goals came out. So four or five years, hey, Sandy, what do you want to do? Well, I want to be on air. Well, great. How can we help you? So that I really made it a point because I do see a lot of times male and female come as a runner or a PA to get their foot in the job or foot in the door. And they just sit in the TV booth and just ham it up with the talent and the producers and don't do their job. And then they're never hired back. So it's like, mm-hmm. you got to do, do the job you're, you're hired to do there, gain the trust there. And so I really just took the opportunity. I kept my claws in it and I never let it go. So there is one part uh, of your career that you did not mention that I, I think I would put this in, in your career as well. Uh, you were Miss California. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to talk a bit, a little bit about that experience, what that process was like, and what you learned there that you've been able to take into your career in sports today. So I have a no, I remember driving, uh, gosh, I was going home to Manhattan Beach and I was on the freeway and I remember something possessed me and I was like, I'm going to compete for this. I have no idea what happened. I had never been in a pageant before and I was reading an article that was very controversial and I just started crying once I got off the freeway. I had to pull over and cry and call my mom. And I was like, if I had a voice for the voiceless. And I remember saying, if I was Erin Andrews and I had that platform, (laughs) I could help these people and I could make a change. And that was the moment I was like, okay, I'm going to compete. And you, um, you have to talk to kind of the director. So every state has a director that is in charge of all the girls. And so I had to talk with her and I had to kind of, you have to win your city first. So I was Manhattan beach. And then from that sponsor, you have to get sponsors. It is really expensive. I had no idea. I think the most stressful thing in my whole entire life I've ever done is having to raise money for the pageant. And so Mm -hmm. as this uh, Manhattan beach, then you go and compete for the state. And that was all in Santa Barbara. So we all traveled up there and you have to learn routines. You have to do everything uh, in one day. So there's preliminaries, which is Friday night. And then you have interviews Saturday and then the main competition on Sunday. Um, so it was a lot of work leading up to that. You have to get a pageant coach. I was work, working with a pageant coach at least three times a week. You have to have a walking coach. You have to have all these outfits. Again, very, very, very expensive. I was in the store, my last piece to my gown was I needed earrings and I had the vision in my head and these earrings were perfect, but they were 108, I think it was. And I had time in LA struggling very hard. I didn't have Mm -hmm. $108. And so I just was like, okay, I just left. I started crying and I left and my mom called me and she was like, Hey, I just put a hundred and I think it was 105. She put in my account that day. And I was like, Oh, what a sign. Like I was like, Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So I turned around I went and got the earrings and I, um, that was maybe two days before going up. And so drove up to Santa Barbara, 
you stay, you meet all the girls, you're in a hotel room with them. It's awesome. It is really, really great. There was never cattiness or anything like that. I never experienced any of that. Um, prelims. And then the interview process for me was as much as I love to talk and everything that was, it was hard. It was, I was very nervous for that. Mm -hmm. And even as much as you have all the coaching and you go over everything and then the, the actual night, um, the next night on Sunday, you compete and you do your routine and you do all this stuff that you practice the whole weekend. And then the final three are called and then you have to do a question and that I blacked out as much as I'm on camera and I do everything. I don't remember my question. I don't remember my answer. Um, and then you, they announce. And so it's second runner up first and then their first runner up. So I thought I was, I thought I got second. So my foot started to step out and they were like, Sandy Charles from Manhattan Beach. And it was me. And I was like, what? Like, I was very, very shocked. I thought I had no shot. And so winning was great. But then the then the very next day at seven in the morning, you start. And I was at a um, best, I think it was best buddies event, if I can remember, because you instantly go into philanthropy. And that was the whole point of why I wanted to do it. So seven in the morning, next day, I'm at a brunch talking to um, special needs kids and helping them. So you're instantly propelled, which was awesome. I could not feel my toes because of being in heels for about 24 hours. So <laughs> for sure. two weeks, I could not feel my toes. They were numb, but you, um, you go into philanthropy and it was just awesome to have a platform to help others. And so one of my other platforms is um, children of alcoholic parents. And that was something that was really near and dear to me that I've been trying to help. And that was something that while I was Miss California, that special Olympics, which was awesome. And how I've been able to use that with my career is just being out in public and talking and honestly, mm -hmm. the onstage question that helped me more than anything now, because if I can get through that moment, being one judged in a bathing suit on stage, then two, having to go on the spot and answer some random question about yourself, then I really can do anything. So it just getting me comfortable with being a face of something really is what set me up. Then as soon as I passed my crown in 2015, I moved home and just hit the ground running with on air in Arizona. That's awesome. And that's interesting. I like the idea that, well, first of all, I like the idea of using your platform for, for causes that are near and dear to your heart. And that also the idea that getting through that moment kind of prepared you for anything you can do, because now as a reporter or a producer, I'm sure that is so helpful, especially when you are on camera. So I want to transition a little bit there. So your time as a PA and runner Obviously, that helps you as a producer, but I'd also like to talk about how does that help you as a reporter? How did that prepare you for what was to come when you did get your shot on camera? If I was not a, a PA or a runner, I don't think I would be as good on air and I would not be as confident. I was able to study for those, gosh, I don't even, seven, six years, because even when I was still mm -hmm. producing, I would, if they needed me to run, I would still go be, and run, uh, be a runner. Um, did it take some humbling and did I walk away crying sometimes because I was like, I can't, I feel like I'm taking steps back. Yeah. But I also, I wanted to step up and rise to the occasion because they needed help. Um, but it helped because I was able to study the Alana Rizzo's for years and the Matt Vaskersians and the Heidi Watney's and the Jackie Redmond's. I was able to study them. How do they do? How does the producer help them? So when I'm working the 
the it was a playoffs 2015 or 14 gosh I cannot remember but it was Alana Rizzo me her producer a Cameron audio person I was able to watch everything that the producer does to help the talent and what what questions Mm -hmm. is Alana asking what is she doing how is she delivering what and so that really really helped me in the field but then in the truck when I would be a PA or a runner in the TV truck as the live game was going on I was able to hear how the director and the producer were talking to the talent, counting them down, what Alana was saying back, how she was like, hey, guys, I can add to that. I can add to that. Anything that she was doing, I was able to really learn. And I sat in Chris Rose's studio, just me and Chris Rose, for five years, and I got to see him do live television without a teleprompter, without anything. And so I saw how he prepped. I saw everything that he did as a host. And so from those moments, I'm able to pull back that from them to help me now when I'm on air. Because the thing that Chris never had a teleprompter, and I see so many hosts nowadays, that's all they have. So mm-hmm. it really, I would not be where I am and I would not be as good on air if it wasn't for me seeing and studying the people that I want to be like. I think that's excellent, excellent advice. And so talking about preparation... Let's talk about that a little bit. When you are prepping on a story that you are going to report, what are the most important points and and what is your preparation process like? Because we talk a lot about on this podcast how important preparation is, and it really is going to be the difference between making it and not making it. Uh, So if you could just talk a little bit about how you prepare and the most important points you like to hit for each story. So if you... I really, my confidence is in my preparation. How I prepare makes me more confident on air. And so there's two different things. So for sidelining, it is completely different. So I'll break break those down. So for sidelining, you're doing a bunch of coach calls, player calls, and you're talking to them maybe two or three times during the week. So the first time is just to scratch the surface. Okay, hey coach, tell me some stuff about your team, about you, how long have you been doing this, blah, 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 whatever else it is. Then from that, you go back, you listen to it, and you're like, okay, there's a hole there. I need to know more about this, this, and this. So then you call them back. Hey, can we go more in depth on this and this? Because your job as a sideline reporter is to bring the human aspect of them. They're more than X's and O's. The booth is doing X's and O's. Your job is to now bring them to life. So, Hey coach, you talked about this last time. Let's go more in depth. And then the third call is just to button it all up. And so I, then I have a notebook and I write a line right down the middle. So I'll have the two teams, team A and team B on left and right. And then I just write down all their quotes. I, I get it all organized so that when I'm sidelined and maybe there's, um, the play-by-play mentioned, uh, Tom Brady is this, this, and this, I can be like, oh yeah, I talked to the coach and I can add to that. So the prep really for sidelining is so much different. It's a lot of researching, but your researching really comes from your interviews. And so for that, I'll set a, <laughs> set a good, maybe two weeks aside, as long as I know what game's coming up, because I love to go in depth. And again, it's just going to make me more confident on air. My open, so for sidelining, you have an open, you have a middle, the halftime interview, and then you have a post game. So your open is always going to be setting up the game. And if I do my research, I'm able to set up the game really, really well. Then that leads to my halftime question. The halftime should always go back. Hey, coach, you told me before the game that your goal was to do this, this, and this. How are you doing so far? So 
If mm-hmm. you set yourself up with research and really get in deep with these coaches, you're able to not stress on the sidelines. Oh my gosh, what am I going to ask? What am I going to ask? Well, I did my research. I talked to him. He told me this, this, and this. And then that leads to your post game. And that's, hey, coach, let's look back just a little. How were you able to be successful? You wanted this to happen. Were you successful in that? And then let's look forward. How are you going to celebrate or something like that? So with sidelining, it's so different. As long as you do your research of talking to these coaches, getting these quotes, learning these teams, anything is possible with your confidence and you can just run with it. For hosting, it's completely different because it is all research, 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 stats, 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 constantly on um, all the like pro football focus for stats and just really knowing your numbers, knowing your players inside and out, knowing everything about them so that if your mind goes blank or anything on camera while you're hosting, you can pull from that little knowledge bucket that you're like, oh yeah, well, I remember reading this and this and this, even though I forgot what I was going to say, I can now pivot to this. So it's completely two different ways of how to prep, but you have in order to be a good reporter, whether it's sidelining or hosting, you have to research, not just Wikipedia. You have to get in, you have to Google and go back six or seven, eight pages of Google, find those little nuggets, search their social media. There are so much good nuggets in social media that you can't find on Google. And oh my gosh, he went fishing last week and he caught this and this and like, whatever. And just tell that on the sidelines because he's more than just a football player. He's a dad. He's a husband. He loves to fish and who knew? So it's really, you, you find those little nuggets, you write them on your page and then, Hey, you ask them about him. Hey, best fishing trip. Tell me about it. Well, you know what? And they get so excited. And then you're excited to tell that on the sideline. So really your research will set you free and your confidence and you'll be flying and just doing, doing so well. I love that. And I love the idea of finding the nuggets because that's, that is the key. That's what separates it. That's what going back to what you said about sidelining and and making the human aspect. I think that those nuggets are what do Mm -hmm. that. And that is what people love about sports. They love about athletes. And so I think that's, it's great to bring that to the fans and to the viewers. Um, I'm going to pivot a little and talk a little bit about early on in your career, what is a criticism you received that was difficult to take at the time, but shaped your future in a positive way? So I think about this all the time and it, I, there's not really a criticism, but a bunch of no's, a thousand no's. And I, um, I, the one thing I've always heard is Sandy, your confidence, your confidence, your confidence, your confidence. And I guess that is a criticism, but And something I'm really trying to work on is I don't want to play small anymore because it is safer for everyone else. You know, I I kind of dim my light because I'm afraid that it intimidates others. And uh, because of past trauma, like high school girls being mean to me and that kind of stuff, you know, I, that's where I, that comes from and I need to let that go. So the one criticism has really been your confidence, your confidence. Um, But going back and reflecting to all the no's that I got, so thankful because Could you imagine, Tracy, getting your dream job? Okay, so imagine 2010 Sandy Charles emailing, hey, angels, I want to be your sideline reporter. Hey, Dodgers, I want to be your sideline reporter, knowing very well how green I was, but still taking the chance to do it. I'm going to do it. (laughs) So, And hearing no, well, sure, I'm going to hear no. I was terrible, but thank gosh I was told no, because if I would have gotten my dream job at 2010 when I was terrible, 
I would have blown my whole career. So <laughs> really, I'm so thankful for those no's because they pushed me harder. And I'm so thankful. I mean, just Chris Rose every day, Sandy, your confidence, your confidence, your confidence. Well, you know what? That was 2010. I really do need to work on my confidence. How can I be more confident on air? Great research. Great. How do I, I'm at the gym. I'm doing certain things to help my confidence. So it really has shaped me. And those no's, I just have been like, oh, I'll show you. <laughs> and I just keep pushing. I'm like a bull. <laughs> I love that. I like pushing like a bull. That's awesome. What um, other tools? I know you talked about your research, but what tools do you have to kind of let go of some of those traumas? Because those things are really hard and they do stay with us and it's hard to let them go. What are some piece of advice you could give to the listener to kind of help them if they're struggling with the same thing? I think my biggest thing right now is, again, goes back to that confidence, confident in who I am and where I'm going and my, okay, so this is, I remember sitting, so I had at least five jobs. No, what? Yeah, five jobs when I was in LA trying to make ends meet and it was 2014. Um, and so I was doing crowd work, which is where you sit in the crowd and you clap and do whatever they want. And it was like 30 bucks a night for it. And I was on the Arsenio Hall show. And I remember there was an Olympian and he, um, didn't have legs and he was talking and he had won. He he's an Olympian. He had gold medals around his neck. And he said, you know what? I was in college and I was watching the Olympics and I thought I'm going to do that. And I called my family and I said, guys, I'm going to run in the Olympics. And mind you, he has no legs. So his family was like, uh, yeah, okay, good luck. But the passion and the calling that he knew was in his heart, he wasn't going to let anyone else tell him differently because he knew it was in his heart. And so I remember hearing that and I was crying in the crowd because it struck a chord with me because all those no's or anyone who didn't believe in me, I was like, they don't know the calling and the passion in my heart. So I took that. I ran with it after seeing that that man on Arsenio Hall. And that's something that has just helped me to deal with those demons of you're not good enough. You're not going to make it. Those girls were right about you. Confident and trusting my own intuition and my own heart and my own calling. That has been a huge part of it. A lot of mental work. I listen to a lot of positive podcasts. I listen to, I take a lot of advice from people that have already what I want and daily just working on your mental positive outlook on life because it is so easy, especially in this industry to get bogged down with comparison, especially social media. So I do not compare. I try not, I should say, I try not to, I do get caught in that trap a lot of times, but trusting my passion and to know what is put in my heart is for me. And then taking the idea, we're all in this together. So Mary Jo over here just booked a big gig. I'm going to clap for her because that means mine is coming up. And so I think changing my mindset to that has what has what been what has really really helped me in my career going further keep taking these steps and taking little sandy i know this is going to sound so stupid but a couple weeks ago i kind of mentally visualized me talking to the little girl or my high school self that had been through a lot of stuff talking to her and saying is this okay mm-hmm. you were okay you were going to get through this and and saying all the things that I needed someone to say to me when I was back then. And so I've started doing mm-hmm. that. And it really honestly taking that inner child and, and loving her and nurturing her has been really helpful. And that doesn't sound stupid at all. I think inner child work is so important for, for all of us in so many aspects of our lives. So thank you for sharing that because I think it's really important for our listeners to hear that. And as we all struggle, and especially in this age of social media, you know, it's, it certainly makes it more difficult. And I think that's really helpful advice. And I appreciate you sharing 
that part of, of your mental and inner work. Thank you. <laughs> I know it's, I, it's great. Oh, that is, I'm trying to be more authentic. I know that that probably maybe sounds weird too, but I feel like with social media, there is a facade and we, we do put barriers up, but I'm really trying to be more authentic and come with my authentic self to everything. Even I had a, I had a work meeting a couple of weeks ago and, um, for a new job that they were hiring for. And I was up for it. I'm a candidate and I came with my real self and I was honest and real and, I remember leaving and saying, you know, old Sandy would have would have not handled it that way. So I think just coming as we are and being so self-aware has been something mentally too. And I just, I'm like, I know we see that meme, like, I love the woman I'm becoming. I legit, like you love, you fall in love with who you're becoming. I think that's where I'm at. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. I think that's, I think that that's awesome. And I have seen that meme and I think it, it fall in love with you, who you're becoming is a, is fantastic, really advice and, and encouragement. Um, going back to preparation a little bit, we talked about, you know, the reporter prep. How does it differ from your producer prep? Um, completely. Well, okay. So two different things. Cause when I go out on remote for MLB network, whether it's play ball or PDP, anything like that, um, grit or trailblazer, I'm doing research. I'm producer and on air. So I have to do it both. And so I'll research what the event is and write my open, do all the questions and that kind of stuff. And then like spring training 3030 that I just did, I was the producer um, helping on 30 clubs in 30 days, the Arizona portion. It's setting it all up, making sure the crew is okay. It's going through the whole roster, being familiar with them because when the cameraman comes over and it's like, Hey, uh, who's 27 on the angels? You, you can know it's clearly trout. We all know that. But if it's you, you have to have everything memorized. You're the producer. You're making everything come to life. You're the one that is really leading this charge. So it's completely memorizing things, getting familiar with everyone from behind the scenes. I would say that it's all behind the scenes. So you're still doing semi the same prep work. It's just that you're not in front of the camera. Really, that's the biggest thing with producer is because you're asking all these questions. I interviewed Mike Trout a couple of weeks ago for MLB Network as a producer, but all behind the scenes. Um, so I still had to research. I still had to figure out my questions. I still had to figure out where he stood on this and that and that kind of stuff. So it mimics each other just a little bit, um, mm-hmm. but you're bringing everything to life. If I just was stepping on as a reporter... I just have to do research. I don't have to worry about the big picture. Okay. That makes sense. That's a good, and I think it's a good distinction because I think, you know, especially in in this day and age, you're going to have to probably do both, especially starting out, but maybe Mm -hmm. always. I think it's just a different world and, and there's so many more platforms and our our listeners are going to have to know how to do all kinds of things. So it's an important distinction to, to know that. Uh, what has been one of the most rewarding stories you've reported on? Um, so I love them all. I love, love, love. <laughs> I So for MLB, I get to cover MLB Grit, which is female baseball players. And so interviewing these young athletes has been so rewarding. And hearing their stories and how they're trying to break barriers, I am so obsessed with and I love. And then on the flip side, I host a mental, um, mental health segment for Sports 360 AZ called Starting the Conversation. And having these people be so real, authentic, and honest about their struggles with mental health and and how they've overcome it has been awesome. And ASU's Jarrett Bell really is the one that kind of sticks out. And he went through foster care. He was abused, all of these different things. And he's using football as his outlet 
to be positive and to show that you can turn your life around. You are not a victim of your circumstances. And so for me, that was, I could have talked to him all day long. And actually after leaving that interview, ASU assistant AD was like, that's the best interview I've ever seen conducted. And so just to be that connected and that, um, I guess, open with someone else. He was so great and he felt so comfortable with me. I, I love that I was able to make him feel comfortable and that he trusted me to tell his story. So that for me has been just absolutely awesome. What has been one of the most difficult stories you've had to report on? Oh, um, same. <laughs> the mental health um, segment there, I had to do one that this, this lady, her uh, son had passed away and then her other son took his own life. Um, and it actually was a drug overdose. And so having to interview her, have her talk about it, um, and hear her story is just, that was really, really painful. I also had to interview, um, a lady wrestler. She is a freshman in high school and she has, she was sexually assaulted. She was in and out of foster, care and people were just taking advantage of her, just treating her very bad. It, I was holding back tears this whole time interviewing this poor girl. Cause she is such a light and so beautiful and so well-spoken for everything that she had been through. And she, it, it ended up being a positive story. A, fa- a foster family did uh, adopt her and it gave her this loving, amazing. amazing life. But I have never cried during an interview and I could not, like, I was like choking back tears. I was like, Sandy, get it together. This is so unprofessional. But then the second part of me was like, this is real raw and her story is tough. So I, I'm just going to let it out. <laughs> And I think that's important too. There is, going back to what you said earlier about the human aspect, and even as a reporter, we have to have, of course, a certain level of professionalism and in theory can't get emotional. But when you're hearing a story like that, you're human too. And there is a human connection that comes out there. It was really tough, Tracy. I was like, I even got off that Zoom after because it was all during the pandemic and I was a mess. And I just wanted to take this little girl under my wing and just help her forever. And she is just so precious. And to not carry that trauma around, you know, and to be able to talk about it so eloquently that she did. And I was just blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, she's more mature than I am. Well, that's, that's amazing. And it's amazing that you had that connection with her and that you were able to tell her story and that something positive did come out of it. So that's, that's really incredible. What would you say is one of the most fun stories you've ever reported on? The, um, (laughs) the most fun is everything. So I host a segment with, uh, for sports 360 AZ and it is all on high school football. And there was one time we did the whiteboard thing. I know a lot of networks do that. And we got to do the whiteboard thing where we were playing games and like, who do you think will do this year or whatever? And uh, who's going to be the lead rusher and we'll just pick a name. And it, it was a fun segment. I know it's not a story, but for me being with them every week and being able to talk about things that we love has been just so fun. And then when I'm out in the field, like I, I instantly go back to the Mike Trout interview a couple of weeks ago because they had me ask him a question knowing very well that he's the best baseball player. And it kind of had to be like, Hey, how good do you think you are? And so for him to, in a second kind of humble himself was really fun. And we were laughing and it was really, really great just to be able, those interactions is what makes the, 
work fund and the stories fund. So whether it's just a question or a in-depth uh, sit down, it's all just, those are the fun, fun parts of it. And Mike Trout is an incredible baseball player and certainly one of the best, but I would have my Dodgers fan card taken away <laughs> if I did not say that. Mookie Betts is tied with Mike Trout for best baseball. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I have to say it. It's like the Dodgers fan of me. Otherwise, I think they'd take my fans away and that would be devastating. Because I think anybody who follows me knows how much I love the Dodgers. Um, so that is very fun. But that's incredible. And it's, you know, what an incredible experience to get to interview Mike Trout, who is awesome. And we actually featured him and his wife on Community oh, Monday love, a couple weeks yes. ago. Because they do a lot of great work in the community. Um, all right. Next question for you. How have you seen opportunities change and grow for women in sports? And how can we still improve? Um, I, I mean, Everywhere you look, there's females that are rising, which is awesome, whether that's their NFL agents, like my friend Molly or Alyssa Nacken, the first uh, female coach to play in a game or to coach in a game at first base for MLB. I, I mean, we're really hand in hand marching, and that's what's beautiful to see. Um, I, I personally have never, and I say, I guess to my face, I've never been discriminated against. If I didn't get a job based on if I was a female, I wouldn't know it. Uh, mm -hmm. I've never been treated differently, which has been awesome. So to see those things in my own experience, I, I love, I absolutely love um, how we can do better. And what I really think, I interviewed Bianca Smith. So she's the first African-American female coach in baseball and she was hired by the Boston Red Sox. And I asked her the hardest part of being a female in sports and her answer was so good because it's something I've never heard. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I totally agree. There is when she, she's working in a field at a baseball field, finding a bathroom or a changing room is always the hardest part. And it's so true because everything is so male orientated that we don't where my, when I'm working the world series, I can't go to the bathroom by the, in the locker or in the clubhouse or by the dugout or anything. I have to run upstairs and do all this stuff because everything's for males. So that to me, I was like, she's so right. So I think adhering the fan aspect and the media aspect to knowing females are here. We're not going anywhere in media. We need a female bathroom. We need a changing room. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's even, um, that not a nursery, but you know, the females that they they're here and they have babies. So I, the sports aspect of that with females, um, we definitely need to get on and, and change. Uh, but everything else I think that we're doing as women, I think we are marching and they are listening. Our voices are being heard and we're being taken serious. And you're seeing more women in play by play and seeing them in the booth and doing color, color analysts, which is fabulous. And we're take being taken serious. I don't see as much hate. And I try not to look at it online of men saying, get back to the kitchen. I don't really see that anymore. Hopefully. Hopefully. Well, it, it's definitely still there, but hopefully it, it will dissipate and hopefully less and less and less. We're, we're definitely making yes. progress. We'll say yeah. that. And definitely making progress. Um, before we get to five fun facts, can you take us through a day in the life of Sandy Charles? Yes. So <laughs> um, I'll take you through uh, cause every day is so different. I'll take you through what I did for 30, 30. Um, so okay. for MLB network, it is wake up and I always have my, I guess it's coffee. So I'll have my coffee. Um, I do, I write out my goals every single day. I have my goals. I have, I'll do a Bible study 
And I'll kind of just mentally, again, going back to that mental space, you have to get mentally ready. So I try to, and this is back to Jackie Redman, who got me into, she's an NHL network host, got me into changing your mornings. If you wake up three hours earlier or four, depending on if you can, uh, to really set your intentions for the day and really focus on you. So um, I'll do my Bible study, my set my goals. And set your goals as if you already have them. It's it's not, I want this. It's, I have this. I have this. So I set my goals and I'll look over the rosters and get familiar and go over any emails from the PR from the night before where anything like that, last minute stuff, just to get familiar. I don't like when the crew is, um, I don't like them to be panicked and I, I want them to have all the information. So as long as I'm well prepared, I'll go over the emails. I'll do jump rope. And then, oh, yes, yes got to get that workout in before. Love it. And then I would, so normally call during 30.30 is about 6 a.m. This year with COVID, it was different. It was anywhere between 9 and 10. Um, okay. Get to the field. And with COVID, again, it, we had to be certain areas. And so get to the field from 9 until about 11.30, filming, taping, going over the players, shooting who we need for the show. And we would wrap around 1231, which is really not normal. It's just COVID this year. And then Mm -hmm. at home, get home. And at this time, I was also preparing for sidelines for to be at the basketball championships and which airs on Fox Sports Arizona. So then I would get home at night and do all my coach calls and do all my research. And then after that, I have my own podcast and I would record uh, my podcasts after that and then go meet my trainer. So it, that's a typical normally that's a normal day even without covid when when we didn't have covid that was a normal day that being that busy from that to that to that. Um so that is a typical day when there is baseball, right? <laughs> for me. Okay. And that's that's a full day. Yeah. That's a very very full day. Um but you strike me and I and I've always known this about you someone who really likes to be busy and likes to be kind of working and moving from thing to thing. So I imagine for you, it's also a great day. Yes. Love, 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 love. I, when I'm, there's downtime, I did cry the last day at 30, 30, just knowing that I was going to go back to not as busy. And that for me is really hard. Like it's really, I know I'm such a cry baby. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. And, but just that last day at 30, 30, knowing like, I don't, even with COVID and everything's still up in the air, when am I going to be this busy again? Well, I love it. And I'm, I'm like you, I also like to be very busy in that way. So I completely can understand that and, and empathize with you when it's like, oh, what happened? I was feeling that way after football season, even though obviously still so busy throughout the year, like when football season ends, there's always a little bit mm-hmm. of that, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to miss that yes. a little bit. Uh, so, so I get it. Well, Sandy, before we go to five fun facts, I want to thank you so much just for everything you've shared with us today. You've been very open and you know, very honest and, and given such great encouragement and advice for our listeners. So I really appreciate that. You got it. So before we let Sandy go, we obviously do five fun facts. Now, Sandy does know this. I say this a lot that, you know, I do this with 49ers players, but we, when we were doing things a little bit different at Fangirl, Sandy also would have to do five fun facts on Cardinals players. Uh, and we would do videos around that. So Sandy is super familiar with it. So before we let her go, I present five fun facts to Sandy Charles. Sandy, what is your favorite moment in sports? 
My favorite moment in sports is working the 2017 World Series during the seventh inning stretch when it was a stand-up to cancer moment and they were playing um, Rachel something, but it's my fight song. And I was on the field. Rachel Platten. Yes. Yes. And um, I was on the field. I had to be on the field the whole World Series. And seeing everyone stand up for everyone in that song playing, again, I'm a baby, and I was crying. I was right in front of the um, dugout with the players, and I was kneeling down on the warning track. And I just was so overwhelmed. This huge stadium, these people standing up, this beautiful song that stand, really is for such a good thing. And I, I, that was my moment. I will never forget. I think about it all the time, and I just love it. I was at that game. I was actually up at game and standing up. It was an incredible moment. I have to say it really, it was very, very special. Very powerful. It was. It was very powerful. Uh, what is your life motto? Um, okay, I have th- th- I have three. So my one that I tell myself every single day, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Two, pressure is a privilege. That's something I tell myself before I go live on air. Pressure is a privilege. And then my third is there's no plan B. I do not, I do not want to fall back because then that gives me a reason to not go for plan A so hard. There's no plan B. It is all plan A. What is your go-to workout? I love HIT and I love weight training with my trainer. And what is your go-to coffee order? <laughs> a decaf Americano if I order from somewhere, but I really make everything at home with King, uh, King Organigo, whatever, uh, mushroom coffee. It's the best. Fantastic. Oh, I might have to check that out. And last but not least, a book every woman should read. Um, 10X Rule is really, really, really what propelled me into the mindset. And really, after I read that book, that's when I saw my career and my mindset. And when I actually landed, or I guess won Miss California, it just, it got my whole mindset to shift. Fantastic. Sandy, thank you so much for joining us. Give everybody your social media handles. We'll put it Uh, We'll tag you in everything, but still, where can everybody find you? Um, It's at, and then S-A-N-D-E-C-H-A-R-L-E-S, at Sandy Charles. It's at, that's everything. Because my name is with an E, I got lucky. And so it's all at Sandy Charles with Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. I did have TikTok. I don't now. So maybe it'll come back, but it's at Sandy Charles. Fantastic. And if you guys like what you heard, and I know that you did, Please make sure to leave us a five-star review and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Talk to everybody next week. Bye, all Sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the first in tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First in tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we We think think we're we're funny funny AF. First in tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstintenspodcast.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.